So we are starting week two. Week two of this series called Does the Bible Really Say? And here's what we're doing. We are looking at certain uh, things that we receive from culture, certain ideas or ways of thinking that we have received from culture that really cause us to ask this question, does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really speak to that? Does the Bible really talk about those things or that thing or whatever it may be? And if, if this week is your first time here, what we, what we are saying is and what we are, what we are going to assume tonight of, of us is that what the Bible says is true. And this is God's word. This isn't just some old book that we decided to think, oh, this is uh, something fun. Let's tell everybody that it's true. But it actually is true. It actually is God's word. It actually is our authority. And so we're, we're starting from that. We're starting with that assumption. And so there's all kinds of conversations around that. Some people have issue with whether or not the Bible is true. We can have that conversation later. I'd love to have it with you. But I'm starting from the assumption the Bible is true. So what it says, we ought to take as truth because it is. So tonight we're going to step into something that is, uh, at best, really sensitive. Uh, and at worst, divisive. Uh, the, the issue of homosexuality and same-sex attraction and bisexuality and, and uh, gender identity has become all the more popular and all the more uh, in the news as of late. Specifically, it's become a really a really significant topic or maybe even issue in the church. It seems like week after week, month after month, I I see uh, just this week, I got an article sent to me of a church that has decided they want to identify that the Bible really has nothing to say about homosexuality and that, uh, and that, that lifestyle is okay. And that uh, the Bible actually is, is cool with it. And here's what I'm, hear me really clearly. I'm not here to just beat, beat you over the head with the Bible. I'm not. What I'm here to do is to say, let's look at what the Bible says. And let's live in light of what the Bible says. Not what Cade says, not what my opinion is, but what the Bible says. Because that's, that's from God. And God has our best in mind. Not just a way of thinking, but our best in mind. And so we're going to jump into this and ask and answer this question. Does the Bible really say that homosexuality is a sin? Does the Bible really say that the transgender lifestyle is sin? And here's what I'm going to ask of you. That you would be really sensitive to this. That we would do our best to be respectful to those around us. Because you don't know, you don't know who is around you that has this, who struggles with this. You don't. So let's not be insensitive. And I would ask that as we move through this and we ask and answer some questions, uh, that you wouldn't check out because, oh, well, I don't struggle with that or I don't, I, don't, I don't know anybody that struggles with that. But the, the reality is, is that you likely are an acquaintance of somebody that struggles with this if you don't struggle with it yourself. Or you will, you will become an acquaintance of somebody who struggles in this area of gender identity or sexual identity. They struggle. And what I want to do tonight is not arm you with bullets to start shooting at them but rather to give you the truth of God's word so that, you can, so that you can stand on it when you get in conversation with him, so you can love them in light of what the truth says. That's what we want to be about. So if you'll look with me at Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 24, I'll read through verse 27. 26 to 27 will be on the screen, but I'm going to start in verse 24. 
Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with, a, with, men, uh, with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So here's what we want to do. I just want to look at what the Bible says. Because remember, we asked three questions. Three questions last time. We're asking three questions tonight. Here are the three questions. What does the Bible say? How is this understood and responded to incorrectly? And what is the correct way to understand and respond to this? So let's just start at the top. What does the Bible say? So here's what we see. Here's what we see. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in their up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gave them over to that. Because, here's why, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So whatever it is that is about to be mentioned by Paul in Romans chapter one has less to do with behavior and has more to do with the fact that they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, that they have found an idol and worshiped it. And don't think built an idol, carved out of wood, made it out of metal or stone. Don't think that kind of idol, but think, that they have taken some way that they feel, some way that they identify, and they've worshipped that creature instead of the creator. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. So the scriptures seem to clearly identify that what it is talking about, men men relating with men and women relating with women in a homosexual relationship or in a transgender relationship or whatever it is that you want to call it, it calls it error. It calls it sin. And again, that's not my opinion. It's not me just telling you what I think because I'm conservative or whatever. It has to do with what God says. And more and more we find in the scriptures from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We can find many texts in the scriptures that address homosexuality in this way, as sin. Well, what about the issue of transgender? Well, Genesis 1, 27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created male and female with biological distinctions from creation. From inception in the womb, God distinguished you and I biologically as male or female. God authoritatively did that. Later on, we find in Genesis 2, 23-24. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The, she shall be called woman because she is... She was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And we see the institution of marriage given right here in Genesis chapter 2 between one man and one woman and a covenant under God forever. 
And anything outside of that would be outside of God's design. Again, not because God is a stick in the mud, but because God knows best. Because, because God is actually for our flourishing. He's not trying to make our lives miserable. He wants us to flourish. And so he institutes marriage between one man and one woman in a covenant under his authority forever. But this issue and this question of, does the Bible really say that homosexuality is sin, is often understood incorrectly. So let's ask the question, how is this often understood incorrectly? Many people end up saying stuff like this. That's an Old Testament way of thinking. You know, that, that the issue of homosexuality is, is an Old Testament way of thinking. They think of texts like Leviticus 18, 22. You shall not lie with a male as a, with a woman. It is an abomination. Or maybe a Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And they say, oh yeah, well that's just an Old Testament way of thinking. We're in the New Covenant now, so you can just go ahead and leave that all behind. Okay. Even if that, even if that were the case. I just read to you two of multiple texts in the New Testament that address this issue. So it is not just an Old Testament issue. It's a biblical issue that we find in the Old and in the New Testament. Well, okay, maybe that's not your issue. Maybe the issue is this, that, well, Jesus never really talked about it. So if Jesus didn't talk about it, then it must not be important. And you know what? You'd be right. Jesus didn't talk about it. Not directly anyway. Jesus never utters the word homosexuality. But Jesus does issue, uh, utter the word sexual immorality, which is a far bigger blanket term than homosexuality. You see, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. You see, Jesus uses this word sexual immorality, which addresses not only homosexuality, and not only bisexuality, but any kind of immoral sexual act. Pornography, premarital sex, you na- masturbation, you name it. This is a blanket term at this point. So does Jesus ever utter the term homosexuality? No. Does he address the issue? Yes. Does he call it sin? Yes. So we can't be people who say, well, Jesus never addressed it, so it must not be that important. He does address it. And even if he didn't, right? 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3 says this. All scripture, all of it, the Bible you hold in your hand, all of it, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So even if Jesus didn't speak anything about it, the rest of the Bible that mentions it is still from God. Yes, Paul wrote it. Yes, James wrote it. Yes, Moses wrote some things in there. But through the authority and the inspiration of God, so we might as well be saying God wrote this. So God is speaking. Therefore, God addressed it. God addressed it. The third thing that people get incorrect, but they think this way. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. And honestly, I can't help the way that I feel. Well, kid, you know God doesn't make mistakes. And I I feel like I like girls or I feel like I like guys. I know that I'm a guy or I know that I'm a girl and I, I like the same sex, but I can't help that. I can't help that I feel like a girl, but I'm a guy. I can't help that I feel like a guy, but I'm a girl. I can't help that. 
God doesn't make mistakes. Don't you know that? I know that. You're right. God doesn't make mistakes. But I think when we say something like that, we're looking at it a little, a little wrong. We're not seeing it from God's view. We're seeing it from ours. And when we say things like, God doesn't make mistakes, I can't help the way that I feel. What you're doing in that moment is saying, my feelings dictate my reality. My feelings dictate my reality. But if that's the case, we're in trouble because stuff like Jeremiah 17, 17, 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 14. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So if you and I, me included, me included, if you and I are just following the way that we feel, if we're just going to follow our heart, it's going to lead us down a really destructive path. Because listen, if, 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 my, if my feelings, my feelings, I'm not talking about you, I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about me. If my feelings dictated my reality, I would get myself in trouble a lot. I feel all kinds of things that I ought not entertain. I feel all kinds of things that I shouldn't pursue because my feelings are not my reality. Sometimes your feelings line up with your reality and sometimes they don't. Here's what's good news. This, is, this ought to be really freeing, I hope. That how you feel does not tell you who you are. How you feel does not tell you who you are. Because if that were true, there would be so many things about me that I wouldn't like. Man, I felt, I felt worthless before. Does that make me worthless? I felt undeserving before. Does that make me consistently undeserving? I mean, let's just list it out. How you feel doesn't tell you who you are. We cannot be people who let our feelings guide our reality. So let's not be people. Let's not be people who say, I can't help the way that I feel. You can. Because there are plenty of times that you change your feelings. Plenty of times. But our feelings aren't our reality. The last thing is this. We often get it incorrect. Or people often get it incorrect. They say things like this. Honestly, it's just unloving to disagree. It's unloving to disagree. If you're saying to me that homosexuality is wrong or bisexuality is wrong or transgender is wrong, it's really unloving that you disagree. That's my life. You live your life. I'll live mine. Let's just not worry about one another. To disagree is really unloving. And I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. It is never, it is never unloving to identify something as sin that the Bible identifies as sin. It is never unloving to identify something as sin when the Bible identifies it as sin. Now, the way in which we identify it as sin and the way we interact with people that are struggling matters. So if you're coming guns blazing to somebody who's struggling in this area, it's unhelpful. Don't even talk to them. If you're coming and saying, don't you know this is wrong? This is despicable. God's against this. Look at what the Bible says. Fix it. Be straight and get it right. That's so unhelpful. 
So just don't talk if that's your opinion. But it's not unloving to disagree. Plenty of people that love one another disagree. My wife and I disagree. Does that mean I'm unloving? No, it means we disagree. But we still love one another. You can lovingly disagree. So what's the correct way to understand this then? Here's the first thing. That it is sin. Homosexuality, bisexuality, transgender, it is sin. Again, that's not my opinion. That's what the scriptures say. That it is a, it is a warping of God's design. God's good and perfect and pleasing design of our sexuality. But but hear me. Here's the second thing. It is not a different level of sin. It is not a different level of sin. You see, we've made the mistake. Me included. I'll shoulder this. Of making homosexuality, those who struggle in this area, and identify as homosexual, and identify as bisexual. And what we've done as the church, and what we've done as a culture, is put it on this pedestal and says, this is a separate, super kind of sin. That's more despicable in God's eyes. And that's so false. It's no different than my sin, or than your sin, of lying, or lust, or anger, or whatever, fill in the blank. You know why? Because it still cost Jesus his life. The payment was the same, death. So we ought not be people who think, oh, well, if you struggle with homosexuality or bisexuality or transgender, that's a different level of sin. It's unbelievable. It's out of this world. No, it's not. It's on the same level as every every other sin. The, The passages that I read Before, they listed homosexuality in a list of other sins. Because it's an area of struggle, just like anger is, just like lying is, just like lust is. It is a perversion of the truth of God. It is not a different level of sin. Well, then what does that mean for us? If it's not a different level of sin, what does that mean for us? How should we respond to those in our lives or those that we might interact with who struggle in this area? First thing. Embracing behavior and a lifestyle and identifying it as a struggle are different. There are those that you will interact with in life that have embraced this lifestyle and said, this is okay. God is okay with this. And then there are those in your life that will come and you will know them and they will identify it as a struggle. Just like you identify your sin as a struggle. You see, it wouldn't be okay if you embraced your sin and said, God is okay with this. God is okay with how I treat my girlfriend when we're alone in this room. God is okay with this. God is okay with how I speak to my parents, even though it's irreverent. God is okay with my anger. God is okay with my lying. No, it's, no he's not. But when we identify as a struggle, what we're saying is, I know that this is not God's best. And I want to live different. Not because culture tells me so, but because I know that God has the best way in mind for me. Because I know that God has best in mind for me. That being said, homosexuality, bisexuality, sexual confusion, 
It is sexual sin. And just like any other sexual sin, heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, comes with a deeper and greater cost. Here's what I mean by that. Listen to me. Not that it's different sin. It comes with a greater cost. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this, flee sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. All of it, right? Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You see, sexual sin comes with a greater cost. Because it will cost your future spouse one day. I'm not saying it's a different kind of sin, a different level or a different level of sin. But I'm saying it does come with a greater cost. And that's all sexual sin. Heterosexual sin, homosexual sin. It comes with a great cost because it's against our own body. It affects those around us and those in the future. Well, if if it's not a different level of sin, it's just one of, of many struggles. What, what else does that mean for us? How should we respond to those that we know or those that are in our lives or those that might be in our lives one day? Here's how you should respond. You should respond how you would want to be responded to if you confess sin. Think in your brain. How do I want to be interacted with when I confess sin to somebody? Do I want to be blasted? Do I want to, do I want to be treated like I'm radioactive? No. You want to be embraced. You want somebody to sit with you and say, I'm so thankful that you confess this. The blood of Jesus covers this. And yet, what we have done to our shame is people have come forward to confess their sin as the scriptures, as the scriptures say. And you know what we've done as the church? Shove them out. Shame on us. Shame on us for treating it different. Shame on me for shoving people out. Because how would, how would you, or how would I like it if I got shoved out in my confession of sin? You know how I would react? I would be bitter. I would be angry at the church. You know, I'd, prob- I'd probably say things about the church that aren't true, but I'm just so angry it doesn't matter. Sound familiar to you? Sounds a lot like the LGBTQ community because the church in so many ways has missed it in the way that we've responded. And I can't, I'm not saying we've completely missed it, but I'm saying we have missed it. So respond, respond to that person in the way that you would want to be responded. So that means be extra gracious, embrace them, extend the grace of God to them. You know what else it means? That we shouldn't make a joke about it. But we're quick to say stuff like that's so gay. How would you like it if somebody made a joke of your sin? I would hate it. And yet we are quick. We don't even know it. That's so gay. All the while, you have no clue who's around you and what they're struggling with. So you have no idea who you're shoving out. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. It means means that we don't need to treat them like they're radioactive. It means that we need to understand 
I'm in need of God's grace just like you are. And so let's extend grace just like we were extended grace. How else do you respond to them? Don't argue with them. Don't go to them and like, I just got out of, I just got out of church on Wednesday and my student pastor, he told me all the reasons why being gay is wrong. That's so unhelpful. It's so unhelpful. Don't go to argue with somebody. It's not helpful. Love them. Love doesn't mean agreeing, but love them. Welcome them in. Be their friend. They're not a leper. Welcome them in. And the last thing is this. How should we respond? Point to Jesus, not better behavior. Point to Jesus, not better behavior. You see, we have, I, I have made the mistake of making my goal when I've interacted with people like this, of man, if I could just make them straight, that would be better. If, they, if, they, if at the end of this, they're straight and they get married, I've won. But hear me. If at the end of us interacting, they identify as heterosexual and they get married and they don't know Christ, I think we've missed the boat. Because here's the deal. In knowing Jesus, Jesus draws us into his design and he shows us this is best. This isn't about Cade's opinion anymore. This is how I designed this to work. It's for your good. So point to Jesus, not better behavior. When you, if, you ever get to, if you ever sit down with somebody who is struggling with this, the first thing that you ought not say is, don't you know that that's wrong? The first thing you ought to say is, I love you. And I'm really thankful that you would tell me this. We have a lot to work on in this area as the church. We have a lot more grace to extend. When I was at the last church I was at in Katy, I had a student who came to me and he confessed this sin. Struggling with homosexuality, homosexual thoughts, homosexual lust. And to be fair, I was thrown off by it. Then I didn't know how to respond. And I was on staff. Sweet. But I walked with him and walked with him and walked with him and screwed up along the way. And he, he had, there were so many times where he felt like, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm less of a guy because of this. Something's wrong with me. Something's broken in me. And at some level, that's right. This is stuff called sin. It's broken him. But, but the more and more the gospel got got presented to him, got put before his eyes and put into his heart. You know what happened? He saw that God is actually for his best. He saw that this is a good and right design. That dude's married today. He has a wife and they live in Dallas and they're killing it. And I'm not celebrating because he got married to a girl. I'm celebrating Because he saw the gospel of Jesus and he saw God's design. He's like, that's best. That's best. I want to live his way. Does he still struggle? I bet. But it's a struggle, not an embrace. You see what he's identified is. I know that this is not right. 
I will put it to death and I will pursue Jesus because he has my best in mind. And so for some of you in here, you're in that position where you need to come and identify. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't okay. This isn't best. And I know in my brain it's not best. But I can't help the way that I feel and my feelings are all upside down. Hey, listen, you don't have to do it today because I know that there are a lot of people here. But you can come and talk to me or Allie or any of these leaders. And you're not going to get judgment. You're not going to get, are you kidding me? We're going to do our best to listen first and do our best to understand. We don't have to agree for us to love you. We want to walk with you through this. We want to point to Jesus and say his way is best. So we, what, what, I, what I would love for, for us as Bay Area churches that we would be the kind of people that welcome folks who struggle with this, just like we welcome folks who struggle with all kinds of other sin. And the last thing is, and if you're in here and you're like, I don't struggle with this at all. Okay. But think about how you've interacted with those that struggle with this. Think about the things that you say. Is this just a big joke to you? Have you been really insensitive to those who have struggled in this way? Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to call somebody tonight or go to somebody who's in this room tonight and apologize and say, I've been so insensitive and I, I'm sorry. It isn't okay. That's not how Jesus loves people. And I want to love how Jesus loves people. Is it going to make it all better? I don't know. But are you going to live honoring to God? You bet. That's what we want to be about. So I know this is real heavy. I know this is a lot. But this matters for us. Because you're going to go interact with people tomorrow who struggle in this area. And you need to know, how do I respond in a way that's like Christ? How do I respond in a way that the Bible upholds as true? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to be done. We're going to dismiss. It's not going to be a response song. And if you want to ask more questions to me, not not even because you struggle with, but you're just like, I have a friend and I need help. I I would love to talk with you about it. I don't have all the answers. I've got some. 